like to ask you to uh, turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, and while you're doing that, I just realized there was uh, one important announcement we didn't share, was that uh, this afternoon, or right at the end of this service, there was a church luncheon planned, and uh, I'm sure many of you are already aware of that, but if you happen to be visiting, or if you were not made aware of the church luncheon, just so you know that you are all welcome to stay and join us. There's always ample amount of food, and it's always a wonderful time of fellowship, And so if you are able, at the end of the worship service today, please plan on staying with us and enjoying that meal together. Philippians chapter 4, I'll be reading the text here for today, starting in verse number 10 and going to verse 13. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. We're going to be focusing, especially uh, this morning, our attention on what Paul says in verse number 11, when he makes that statement, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Now, while it may seem to many that this was a great lesson that Paul had learned to be content in any state. It was actually rather easy for him to say because Paul had never been to the state of New Jersey. If he had, he may not have made that statement. I mean, can you imagine anybody living, making that statement who lives in New Jersey? You know, uh, I lived there for a time, so I can speak in the, from experience. But if you have any questions, Pastor Jeff and I were talking before the service this morning. And he lived in New Jersey for quite a few years as he served in a church down there. And he said he never met a person who lived there who didn't have an exit plan <laughs> as they intended somewhere down the road to get out of New Jersey go somewhere else. Now, of course, the, the word state, as Paul uses it here, has a different meaning. The word that he uses when he says state in verse 11 is actually a generic word, it's a generic pronoun, but he explains more fully what he, what he means by that in verse number 12. When he says in verse 12, everywhere and in all things I am instructed. That's what he means by in whatsoever state, okay? Everywhere and in all things, in any place, or in any circumstance. And then he elaborates even further by saying from the extreme of real need and hunger to the other extreme of abundance and having more than enough. Paul says in any situation, he was content. Now that is quite a powerful statement. Of course, uh, many people today look in all the wrong places for contentment, for satisfaction, and the world makes many alluring offers 
whether it's drugs or alcohol or gambling or pornography or a dozen other addictive type behaviors, which actually bring a hunger to the soul that can never be satisfied by any of those pursuits. Here's a picture, if I can get my clicker to work. Nope, do I have to point it somewhere? (laughs) On the side. I have to turn it on. (laughs) How clever. (laughs) Let's try this again. Oh, look at that. (laughs) Who invented the on-off button? That's an amazing feature. So here's a picture of the gambler, the alcoholic, the pornographer, the internet addict. It's like you're adrift on a raft in the middle of the ocean, and you're dying of thirst. And so you take a mouthful of the ocean water, and what does it do? It makes you even more thirsty. So there you are, surrounded by an ocean of water, and yet you're dying of thirst. It appears that the ocean water should be able to satisfy your thirst, but it can't. Worldly lusts work in the same way and are just as unsatisfying. They make promises that they never can keep. On the other hand, Paul showed contentment in the most challenging of circumstances. In fact, when he first came to the city of Philippi, okay, the, the, the people he's writing to now in the city of Philippi, when he first went to that city to preach the gospel, as I'm sure you're familiar with the story, he was arrested, he was beaten, he was placed in prison. But that very night, in great pain, In darkness, in rejection, Paul and Silas decided to have a singspiration. And honestly, every time I read this text or every time I think of this story, you know, the first question that comes to my mind is would that have been my reaction? Could I have said then, in whatsoever state I am, I have learned to be content? Paul could not have done that if he had not truly learned this important lesson to be content in whatever state God chose for him. And so, friends, here's the main thought for us to try to latch on to, for us to take with us at the end of the day today. We all need to learn that true contentment is found only in Jesus Christ. And so there's three really foundational truths that will help us to maybe grasp this thought a little bit better. First truth is, contentment must be learned. Paul says very clearly in verse number 11, I have learned to be content. It is not something natural. Contentment is not our natural state. And so Paul says, I have learned to be content. So that implies, that means, that we need to learn what biblical contentment is. And so Paul says, here's the key. 
in order to be able to accept the changing circumstances of life and not be shaken, to not be on a constant emotional roller coaster, to not be discouraged. The secret, Paul says, is to learn contentment, which means to be satisfied in Christ. To be satisfied in Christ and in his will for you at any given time in your life. No matter where it leads or no matter what it entails. And again, I need to remind you right up front that where was Paul when he was penning this letter that he sent to the Philippians? Where was he at that particular moment? He was in prison. Again. (laughs) Okay, again. So what Paul writes here is not mere theory for him. It was the reality of what he was living and experiencing from day to day. The word content literally means uh, to be independent or sufficient in oneself. So when Paul uses the word here, it has the idea of living independently of circumstances. Now, Paul never thought that he was sufficient of himself. Uh, His sufficiency was in God, which he says textually in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves, our sufficiency is of God. So when Paul says, I am content, I am am independent, he was talking about the circumstances. And that he could be sufficient as he rested in God. It was as if to say, if I have the grace of God with me here and now, And the promise of heaven hereafter, it is enough. I am content. However, this is a, it's important to realize that such contentment is usually learned in adversity, not in prosperity. We don't generally learn much about contentment when all is well, when all of our needs and most of our wants are being met. It's rather an adversity that we truly learn what contentment is. And almost always, contentment is demonstrated more in adversity than in prosperity. Right? It doesn't mean a lot when everything is well, when you're in good health and you have all that you need and everybody around you is happy. It's not a big deal to say, hey, I'm content. Right? That's not much of a statement. But when Paul was in prison, writing this letter and saying, in whatsoever state I am, I have learned to be content. That's when contentment was demonstrated the most powerfully. This also means that learning that contentment does not depend on circumstances. Now, that is not how we normally think. Okay, most always our contentment, our, our default mode, okay, the natural way to, to, to think and react is, you know, if everything's going well, if our circumstances are favorable, yes, I am content in that. But when things aren't going as we planned, of course, that's when we struggle with remaining, with being truly content. But Paul says, in whatsoever state I am. So let's take a little test. Let's uh, do a little survey of the Bible where either the word contentment is used or the idea of contentment is present and see how we 
how we measure up. First of all, are you content with your present salary and work situation? Let's turn real quickly to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 is John the Baptist was preaching and many people came to him to hear him preach. And we read in Luke chapter 3, verse 14, that some soldiers came to him as well. Roman soldiers came to him. And here's what happened. And the soldiers likewise demanded of John, saying, And what shall we do? And he said to them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. This is kind of, a, kind of an odd thing to throw in there, isn't it? You know, you can understand the first part of the, his response, but then he adds in there, but, and be content with your wages. Are you content with your current income? If you are not content with your current income, with your current job situation, you need to realize that it is not a question of having the right circumstances, the right boss, the right uh, job situation, the right benefits. It is a heart issue. Now, as we shall see, there's nothing wrong with advancement and pursuing opportunities for advancement. We'll look at that a little bit later again. But until that advancement comes, God wants us to learn contentment in our current work situation. When I was a a seminarian, I worked for a time loading uh, trucks for UPS. And uh, it it was very hard work. The, uh, the boxes would come down at a pace that you did not choose. The boxes would come down at a steady pace from this you know, little conveyor belt into the truck. And as you can see here, the, the, the conveyor belt was rather low. And so you needed to take those boxes and stack them, making a sort of wall, and then another wall in front of that, and so forth, till the truck was filled. But to pick up the boxes, you really had two choices. Um, either as you went over to the conveyor belt, Either you bent over with your back and picked up the box and then wore out your back really quickly, or you would go over and you would bend your legs and pick up the box, and then, of course, you'd wear out your knees really quickly. <laughs> and it was a feverish pace. I mean, those boxes just kept coming and coming, and sometimes they're falling off on the side because they're backing up as you're trying to make your, your wall. And so although the, the pay wasn't bad, after week work, working a few weeks at that feverish pace and feeling aches in my back and aches in my legs, I was saying to myself, this work is just too hard, and they're not paying me enough. Well, the only problem was there was another seminarian who worked in the same place as I did. In fact, we drove together to go to work. His name was John Kennedy. He worked there as well, but he had a very different attitude when he worked, He would actually, while he was filling his truck, he would actually be whistling Christian hymns as he was working. And then when he would finish filling his truck, if he was ahead of time a little bit, had a few minutes for a well-deserved break, instead of sitting down and resting, he would jump in the truck next to him and help the guy next to him fill his truck. That was John Kennedy. Wasn't me. And so as I was tempted to complain about the work conditions and the workload and what they expected of us, 
Here was this other guy showing me what a right attitude at work should be, what contentment looked like. So are you content with your current salary? Are you content with your material, your current material possessions? Um, let's take a look at a passage in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. That makes a direct connection to this aspect of our lives, the things that we possess. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5. It says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, the natural tendency is to always want just a little bit more, you know? Um, I mean, really, if you ask yourself the question, what is enough? When can I actually say, I have enough? It's usually just a little bit more than what I have right now. <laughs> uh, we won't turn there, but in First Timothy chapter 6, Paul says, if we have food and clothing... We are content. That's what he calls enough, okay? Having food and clothing. That's really what should be enough for each of us. But generally, that is far from satisfying most hearts. When uh, our daughter Sarah was in college at Northland, she went on a summer missions trip to the country of Zambia. And I really do believe it's incredibly beneficial for any American to leave this country and travel abroad, especially in those countries that are not nearly as blessed as we are. She went to Zambia, and although the population in general lived in very poor conditions with over 50% unemployment in that country, and with a life expectancy, an average life expectancy of only 38 She was struck and surprised by the believers that she met there who she found to be truly joyful and content. What they may have lacked in material possessions, they fully compensated for by their spiritual contentment in Christ. And she took a video of them singing, a group of them singing. I just want to pass. Let's look at their faces as they sing. The, the title of the song is going to be at the top of the screen here. But just listen for a second. And it goes on. But joy that radiated, contentment that was sincere, in spite of very harsh, impoverished conditions in which they lived. So are you content with your material possessions? Are you content with your current life situation? Turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Where we don't find the word content, but we find the idea of contentment. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 20. 
1 Corinthians 7, verse 20. Paul says, Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. That is, be content. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise also he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. You are brought, bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Brethren, let every man, wherein he is called, therein abide with God. So Paul says, you need to be content in your current life situation. As a free man or as a slave. As a single person or being married. God wants us to be content in our current situation. Now, the text says very clearly that God is not opposed to opportunities for advancement. He says in verse number 21, if you can be free, if you are a slave and you can be free, he says, sure, take full use of that. There's no problem with seeking opportunities for advancement. But as long as God keeps you in your current situation as a young single, as a day laborer, as a widower, widower, in prolonged sickness, Paul says it is needful to learn contentment in whatsoever state you are. Finally, do you stay content when your circumstances change? Going back to our text in Philippians, Paul's circumstances changed often. He says in verse 12, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul lived a variety of different situations, and he came to realize that his contentment had to be independent of those circumstances, whether they are moments of prosperity and, and good times, or there are moments of, of struggle and challenge. Perhaps you are content right now, but if your health were to change, if your professional status was to change. You know, for some people, it only takes the weather changing and they're discontent. <laughs> when we lived in France, we lived in northern France, and uh, it was amazing how it was often overcast and rainy and chilly and cloudy, and it was amazing how many people uh, became depressed and suicidal uh, just because of the weather. Paul learned how to accept changing circumstances. When somebody would ask him, hey, Paul, how are you doing? He never responded with, okay, I guess, under the circumstances. Because Paul was never under the circumstances. His joy and contentment were not dependent on his health or his wealth. And so Paul writes, everywhere in all things I am content. Let's move on to a second foundational truth here. And that is that contentment does have enemies. And Paul names them here in this text. Contentment has two major enemies. The first one is the enemy of prosperity. Paul says, I know how to abound and be content in that abundance. And the reason he says that, because in prosperity there are dangers. When we are in prosperity, we can become proud. 
It's possible in those moments of prosperity to, to think, maybe we won't say it, but we might think, um, you know, I've worked hard and uh, I've succeeded and, you know, I've been smart in making the right decisions and that's what's contributed to me being in a good situation in life right now. And Paul said you need to be very careful of those imposters. There were times when Paul was treated royally, both before he was saved and after he was saved. And how did he handle that? In every situation, when he was prosperous, he always gave God the glory. He knew that any blessings that he enjoyed came from God. God was the source of that prosperity, of those blessings. The other danger in prosperity is that we might become stingy and uncharitable. It's the attitude that says, again, I've worked hard for what I have, so I have a right to enjoy it and, and keep it. It's kind of the attitude of uh, Scrooge in Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Uh, don't know if you've already read or seen this, uh, this story, but when being asked to contribute to the poor, a, a gentleman, a solicitor, came to Scrooge's workplace to ask for a contribution for the poor. And the following conversation ensued. Scrooge said to the man, are there no prisons? And the solicitor responded, well, there's, there's plenty of prisons. And Scrooge continued, he said, and the, and the union workhouses, are they still in operation? And the solicitor replied, yes, they're both very busy, sir. So Scrooge said, well, then those who are badly off must go there. The man responded, many can't go there, and many would rather die. And so Scrooge replied, if they would rather die, then they'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. Now, of course, that's certainly an extreme. But there are times when we become a little bit too clingy to the things that we have. Again, when we think of the incredible abundance that we enjoy in this country, that we should ever not be prepared to share with others who are less fortunate. Think of, uh, again, in Luke chapter 3, you don't have to turn back there, but when those people were coming to John the Baptist, um, the Bible says that the people in general asked him, John, what shall we do? And John answered and said to them, whoever has two coats should share one with somebody who has none. And whoever has food should do the same. I won't ask you raising your hands, but I wonder how many people today have two coats hanging in their closet. Before I left the house, I think I counted six in my closet. And so... <clears throat> There are opportunities and means for us to be able to share of that abundance with others. Uh, just recently, the church prepared these bounty boxes for some families who were uh, needy, and it was a blessing to see all the food items that were brought in. Right now, the church is collecting items for a food, uh, a clothing drive for Ukraine. And uh, again, that's going to continue until next weekend. And what a wonderful opportunity to go back through um, the, the stacks of clothes that we have in those drawers, some that perhaps we don't even ever wear um, or rarely, and, and pull out some of those nice clothes and put them in a bag and bring them over here to the church for many people in Ukraine and other places who 
lack sometimes the daily needs. So the, there's the enemy of prosperity, but there's another enemy that Paul refers to, the enemy of poverty. And so Paul says, I know how to abound. And then he says, I know how to be abased, to be hungry, to suffer need. Now, perhaps some of you are saying, huh, well, listen, I'd rather have to face the first enemy than this one, you know, struggle with poverty, with uh, prosperity rather than poverty. But poverty also has dangers in it. Uh, in poverty, we can show resentment, just plain bitterness. The have-nots become resentful toward the haves. Of course, maybe have you, some of you have perhaps seen the bumper sticker that some people put in their cars. Uh, those who maybe are doing okay in life, they put a bumper sticker on the car that says, fight poverty, get a job. While those in poverty have a saying, which we hear oftentimes, yeah, well, the rich just keep getting richer at the expense of everyone else. And so both actually are struggling with the same thing, being content in the situation in which they find themselves. So resentment is one danger in poverty. The other danger is out of complaining. And I would like for us to go back to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11, just to kind of put a different perspective, a different light on how serious of a matter this is. Not that any of us would complain, right, about anything. But in Numbers chapter 11, notice what it says here concerning the Jews. Now, remember the context. This is during their wilderness wanderings. All right, so they're wandering out in the oppressive Judean desert. And they've been doing so for years. All their belongings, they either have to carry on their back or pull with them in some kind of a you know, pool cart. That's what it says in Numbers 11, verse number 1. In those, in those circumstances, in that condition, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it. And his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. Wow. For complaining. Now, there was a time when the Jews were thankful. Not too long before this, when God had miraculously delivered them and brought them out of Egypt. But now here they are complaining. But again, when I read this text and think about the condition they were in, the circumstances they were in, and then I think about my life. I mean, do we have more or less than what they had? More, much more, right? I mean, they couldn't even imagine the things that we have. They couldn't even imagine it. And yet, there are times when we are maybe tempted to complain as well. I like the saying, he that's content has enough. He that complains has too much. And you know, sometimes God, to teach us contentment, needs to take away some of those things. As we all know, sometimes we don't really appreciate what we have until those things are taken away. And so God seeks to remind us and to teach us that contentment will never be found in things. Contentment will never be found in circumstances. Contentment is only found in Christ. And so the third truth for today is contentment 
can only be found in Christ. And so for the spirit-filled Christian, Christ is all he truly needs. Christ is all we truly need to be content. And that's what Paul had learned. Paul had learned that the secret of the Christian life, the secret of contentment, is Jesus himself. And throughout the book of Philippians, Paul kind of touches on those key elements of what it was to be content in Christ. Real quickly, just look at some of them. In chapter 1, verse 21, pastor touched on this last week. Chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, listen, if I had to sum up my life in one word, it would just be that, Jesus. He is my life. When people are discontented, when, when we become anxious and uptight, it's usually because Christ is no longer the center of our life. He's no longer the sum of our life. Something else or other things have crept in. We have begun seeking satisfaction in something else other than in Jesus. Another secret that Paul shares in chapter 2, verse 5. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Having the mind of Christ. Being Christ-like in thought and action. And when you read the rest of that passage there in chapter 2, you realize what it means to have the mind of Christ. As Christ gave himself, emptied himself, and gave himself for others. And so the content Christian thinks of others and seeks to serve others. Again, a Christian who is not content is a Christian who, instead of thinking of others, thinks too much about himself. Third secret that Paul shared, chapter 4, in verse 4, he says, Rejoice, and this is the key part of the verse, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Do you rejoice in the Lord? Always. There's always reason to rejoice in the Lord. Jesus had said in the Gospel of John, Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. He wants our joy to be full, but the key for that is to rejoice in Him. To rejoice for the forgiveness of sins that we have in Jesus Christ. To rejoice for the salvation of our soul that we have in Jesus Christ. To rejoice for the promise that we registered earlier, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Again, each of us should be able to say, for those who are Christians, now if you're not a Christian, then this, this all sounds like foreign language to you. But as Christians, we should all be able to say, if I have the grace of God here, now in my life, and the promise of heaven hereafter, it is enough. I am satisfied. I am content. And so, for the spirit-filled Christian, he learns to be content with what he has, but not with what he is. And there is an important distinction here, okay? The content Christian is content with what he has, not with what he is. That is, to be content with how God has made you, and with what he has given you, and with where he has placed you, 
but not be content with where you are in your spiritual walk with him. Not be content with what you have already done for Christ. Paul was ever seeking to grow and to improve and to draw closer to Christ, to be more like Christ. And so he wasn't content with what he was, but he was content with what he had. Turn to uh, Philippians chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Paul says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Okay, so he was always pressing forward. He was always pursuing He was always seeking to grow in his commitment and his service for the Lord. He refused to be content with what he had already accomplished. He longed that many others would would still turn from darkness to light. While he was never content with his past spiritual attainments, he was absolutely content with the circumstances of his life. And so at one moment... Paul would look up to Jesus and look into the, his word and say, Wow, Lord, I, I, I have lots of room to grow yet, Lord. I, I, I am such a needy person. I just I need to learn and to grow. But when he would look around him in the jail and see the jailer and see the chains, he would say, But Lord, I am content with the situation and where you've placed me. Content with what he had, not content with what he was. And so at any moment, he could say, I'm content with what you have given me, Lord, because infinite love has permitted it. And so then Paul states, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I can do all things, says Paul, through Christ who infuses strength within me. Whatever needs to be done, whatever God's will for you entails, Paul says you can do it because Christ's power is available to work in you. Paul says, it's Jesus Christ that lives within me. And since Jesus knows no barriers, since Jesus knows no limitations, since Jesus knows no boundaries, with him in me, as I pursue his will, there is nothing that I cannot do for his glory Because for God, nothing is impossible. And I think in your notes, there's a series of texts there in 2 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 3, etc., but that emphasize that point of God's grace and power at work in us that enable us to be able to serve him as he desires. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you wrestle with discontentment? Perhaps at times, perhaps today, right now. Whatever you're struggling with, the answer is here. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, including learning to be content in whatsoever state I am. And this is not some mere platitude. It is truth. 
It is God's promise. It is the reality that Paul lived and that many Christian folks in this congregation are living right now. It's always a blessing to me when I go to visit some of the more elderly of our congregation. And oftentimes it's in the hospital. Or oftentimes, as was just recently the case, on a, on a man's dying bed. And to hear their comments as they just share spontaneously as I'm visiting with them. And to hear them be talking about the goodness of God in their life. To be talking about the burden they still have for lost souls. To be talking about the fact that they long to be with Jesus, perhaps in a short period of time. And not say a word about the pain that they're obviously experiencing. Not say a word about the quality of the food that they are receiving at the hospital. Not complaining, but giving glory to God. And I come away saying, wow, there is a saint who has learned to be content in whatever state they are. But notice that the key here is not to simply seek the strength that Christ gives, but to seek Christ himself. We need Jesus to fill our lives. Now, again, if you're here today and you are not born again, you have never invited Jesus Christ to come into your life to forgive you of your sin and to make you his child, then that is your greatest need. And you will never be satisfied and you will never be content until the day that you open your heart to Christ and invite him to come in and to save you. But if you are already a believer, then you should be able to say, like the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 2, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me.